We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. All right, welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And I am Posthumous Crypto. Yeah. If you are new to these parts, we take a conversational approach to the literature that we read. If you're down for checking out some of the most important literature that has influenced even today's writers, make sure you hit that subscribe button to join us on the journey. And as always, we start off with publication information. The Storm by Kate Chopin was originally written in 1898, but will be published posthumously in 1969. We will leave a link for you to read and listen for free down below. First, we need to talk a little bit about Kate Chopin herself before we get into the storm. She was a very powerful and emotional writer in the late 19th century, and she brings out a lot of the complexities of relationships and femininity and masculinity in her writing. And that's going to be very important as we dive into this story today. Now, this story is the sequel to her less popular Ethicadian Ball, but what we're going to see is how she uses the weather to really represent the emotional climax and ferocity of the emotions in the story, interestingly enough. But what's interesting, as Crypto pointed out early, is that this didn't come out until 70 years after she had written it almost. And that's a little bit interesting because she knew no pu- no self-respecting publisher would publish such a racy bit at the time, which now when we look at it, we're like, yeah, okay, so what? Like, this, this isn't shocking. Why, why do I want to read this now? Let's talk about this story coming up today. What we're going to do is a quick plot recap and then jump into some of our analysis. So we start out in southern Louisiana where Bobino and Bibi are at a store as storm clouds begin to appear off in the horizon. If you didn't gather by the name of the short story. (laughs) Soon the storm hits and they're kind of hunkered down at the store buying shrimp for, you know, the wife back home. As we continue to go forward, please forgive us on how to pronounce these. We're not 100% sure. But Bobino's wife, Calixta, is worried about her family. She begins bringing things inside before the storm hits when Alce arrives. He takes shelter with her and eventually rekindles some of their previous days of passion, making Cal- and Calixta has an affair with him. When the storm ends, Alce takes off. Bobino and Bibi return home where they have dinner as a family. Meanwhile, Alce writes to his family, everyone is happy, end plot. <laughs> So let's move into some of our analysis where my first instinct is, Kalista, no, how could you? <laughs> yeah, right. Like the first thing is you're, you're, I think you're meant to be mad at her in a way. I think that's how Chopin is writing it. I don't know. I think that she's trying to uh, aggravate let's, me on purpose. Let's, let's take it step by step, right? Because we start off in this general store. And do we think in this intro, the husband and son care about the wife, right? Because he's buying shrimp for her, right? And then the son says, mama will be afraid, yes? He suggested with his blinking eyes. 
And I think this is meant to show that this isn't like a, a broken relationship. Like the son and the husband are both talking about the wife and doing things for her, buying shrimp, her favorite food, which shows you that they do care about her, right? No, for sure. I think that when the storm comes, their need to get to her really emphasizes that, that they do care about the the mom and the wife and they want to get back to her, make sure she's okay and safe. And I don't think that it's something that they're trying to say, oh, she can't take care of herself. I think that it is that they genuinely do care, but it's weird how like we're ripped away from them so quick and we don't learn a lot more about them because they're not the main characters of the story. Right. We, we, we're thrust into Kalixa's life where she's in her role of what of servitude, I guess. She is, you know, doing the laundry, cleaning, that sort of things, which is caring for the husband and son. When a storm happens, and storms can sometimes represent things, right? They can be destructive, they can be renewal, they can be sudden and uncontrollable, maybe like someone's passion and, and, and temptation here. But along comes a man that she had previously shared a moment of passion with. She had kissed before, and particularly, I think that's written a little bit more about in that previous story that we had talked about. But I think this is all natural, right? He's he's riding on this horse, and this is a time and era written in 1898, when obviously it's it's pretty okay, I think, to invite someone in. I don't know. Maybe I, I wasn't alive in 1898, but I don't think we're meant to condemn her or think that she had ulterior motives when she invited Alsay in, because I don't think Alsay even knew whether the husband was home or that he was coming there specifically to have a fair is, is what my understanding of the story is. They do allude to it, though, a little bit, right, at the very beginning of how she was tranced or fixated with him and his voice and how she felt, like, uh, young again because of him and attracted, you know, before her marriage. This was kind of the only relationship she knew before her husband. So we do get a little bit of hints along the way that there is there's some fire between these. There's history between these two individuals. Right. And she does allow it, right? Because Alsay says... May I come and wait on your gallery till the storm is over, Kalixta, he asked. Which, you know, <laughs> as a character, she's being, you know, presented with the option of turning this down, and she doesn't. She allows him to come into the home. Yeah, this is where we see the environment of the story kind of start paralleling what happened to these two characters where the dam breaks and their passion explodes between them and we see something very different than what we normally see with what a water storm is intended and this kind of is subverted by chopin in this story right and then to support your earlier point we have that quote where alsay flung himself into a rocker and calixta nervously began to gather up from the floor the lengths of a cotton sheet which she had been sewing. So again, a, another role of, of providing for the family how she's sewing, and she gathers it up nervously. Alsay is obviously tempting her just with his presence there to your earlier point about alluding to their past. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's history between these two, and it's not only personal, but I think that at this time period, there's like this class divide between them as well. And there's obviously some social norms in 1898 of how you're supposed to behave. And I think they're kind of breaking all of those social norms. To your point earlier of, yeah, it's okay to accept somebody in, but are you supposed to be having this type of interaction with them when your family is gone? What are some clues to that class thing? Because I did notice he rode up on a horse while her family was walking. And I don't know how far away the store was, close enough, but... You know, I think 
the the presence of transportation matter, particularly in 1898. Were there other clues? One thing they call out in the story that's important is the background. He's Creole, and that's very important to this Louisiana uh, time period because it gives you some status of you know who your parent lineage is. So that is a little bit of a hint as well of this divide between them that she is, quote, beneath him, perhaps. I also noticed that we had this quote, a bolt struck a tall china berry tree at the edge of the field. Do you know what the china berry tree is sometimes used to represent in literature? Oh, man, I'm going to fail my plant thing again. <laughs> ah, I always get tripped up on the biology ones. You, you oh. cannot read a short story with me and not expect me to quiz you on the plant meaning. So china berry tree a lot of times has come to represent the tree of knowledge maybe a little bit of original sin in a sense. So it's struck by lightning right during this sudden and and emotionally charged storm. And that's when these two begin to have their affair, where the outside weather is almost this external manifestation, perhaps, of their internal emotions and turmoil. So it's the... the- this is the the spark that's reunited with the lighting of the lightning and their desire for one another is rekindled. Well, and to your earlier point, this is the part where I also maybe felt a little, I wasn't sure how Chopin wanted me to feel about this because one of the first things that she screams is bonté, which means good, right? So so in the context of the the china berry tree the the tree of, of wisdom here she's saying good as this is kind of happening too which is a questionably moral thing to do when you're having an affair in in a religious aspect at least right yeah so she's okay with breaking what she's not supposed to be doing and that's where i that's where i said at the very beginning i got a little bit like not mad, but like flustered. I'm like, am I supposed to feel this way? Am Do you I think sp- Chopin wrote this in a way where she condoned the activity? I feel like it. I, I feel like there's so much imagery here that it was just impulsive, but there's so much setup to this that we're supposed to feel like she's doing something wrong, but maybe not exactly. Uh, because we don't know if she's frustrated with her marriage. We don't know if she has had a bad marriage or if her husband is a terrible person or something. Not that that would maybe make it okay, but I, I think that Chopin writing in 1898 is trying to, to your point earlier, be not raunchy or you know, you know, uh, over-sexualize things, but just say women can be independent too. We have such interesting quotes such as the generous abundance of her passion without guile or trickery. And I'm, I'm like kind of like trying to apply this to what this means without guile and with trickery. You know, and you have these quotes saying, knowing for the first time it's birthright in regards to her flesh, right? That her birthright was to have this, this sensual pleasure, which, you know, at the time, which is why it probably, she knew she'd never get this published, is that was, it was sacrilegious, <laughs> this, this whole constitute, like marriage was a much different thing than what it is now in 1898 than it is to 2020, which is why when reading it in, well, in 2021 now, we're kind of like, so what, right? So they had a passionate moment. Yeah, it's a little bit weird that they didn't feel any remorse. Yeah, it's a little bit weird that there's no punishment because usually when characters do something that we consider wrong, right? So I, I don't think it's a stretch to say cheating in your marriage is considered wrong by most people. But what's interesting is they come home and they're just like, what's up? I brought you some shrimp. And it's like, cool. And she smiles and 
laughs, right? Like she doesn't, she doesn't look down in shame. She doesn't clutch herself in, in regret of how she expressed herself emotionally during the storm. She laughs it off. She, she goes on with her family, and we don't have any signs of this trickery or remorse coming into a, a feeling of regret ever. Yeah, so I think what Chopin has done here has really broken the traditional norms of responsibility in marriage. In 1898, we see a revival of the ideas of, you know, religion, and we see a, a push of very conservative values in the United States. And I think that she's trying to write almost this erotic story that isn't going to offend too many people. And of course, the publisher knew that they weren't going to be able to get away with that. But this is like a very, very super duper complete, you know, almost uh, a, a religious Fifty Shades of Grey that she's trying to get away with here. And it just doesn't work out. And it's sad because... I feel like the wife is like almost being an object of desire in the story, even though I don't think Chopin ever meant it that way. Well, think about it this way, too. Okay, so it's so easy for us to play the game of like, well, you got to look at it differently. You know, this was written back in in 1898 and such. What does that say about us? Because literature is usually a discussion with ourselves. What does this bring out? What do I see in myself? How do I question things differently? And what does it mean that we culturally think that this is just a really banal story now, right? In terms of the shock value, the shock value, 1898, right? Because the last line, (laughs) the last line of one of them is, so the storm passed and everyone was happy, right? Alsay goes on to write his wife. She goes on to have one of her favorite shrimps with her husband and son, no big deal, right? And and in terms of 1898, right, we had much different views on on what contraception and what contraception options were available, right? STDs weren't even in the discussion. But now we have these sorts of things. And now it's just kind of like, it's culturally just acceptable. Like, yep, that kind of happens sometimes. And we're not even shocked by it at all. What does that say to us that we come to expect that, these are things that people do sometimes. And why why was it so shocking that Kate was was acknowledging that these things existed and happened, but the rest of culture just would would recoil from this the concept of this even being published. But today we're like, yeah, that's what happens all the time. Today we see that in, you know, every single episode of anything or movie or comic or whatever there's always these hypersexualized individuals man woman whatever and i think that what kate chopin has done here has taken this erotic uh situation and used it for the idea of you know if i put myself in that position she used it for this idea of the female experience seems to be thrown away by american traditions at the time like a wife can go cheat and as long as she does the cooking and cleaning and, and keeps her husband and family happy, then everything else is going to be ignored. Because that's exactly what happens at the end of the story. It's all just ignored. And she's like, this should not be this way. Women are more important to society, and we shouldn't be repressing them in, in, in America. Well, here's another angle. Let me, let, me, let me throw this one out here for you. We did the story <laughs> of an hour by her. Right, which was the idea yep. for one hour she could escape the oppressive nature of marriage, which again was not something a lot of people talked about back then, right? Particularly as a woman, right? You you had a different role back then. Could this also potentially be in the era of, of, of when this was written, 
her hourly quote unquote escape this this sexual escapade from her her class situation we we i think we made an argument that there could be a difference in classes with like the horse the creole background and stuff that this is her you know she doesn't get shrimp all the time <laughs> this is her temporary <laughs> escape into a different life of pleasure and not worrying as opposed to what was she doing when we saw her in the lower class situation sewing you know getting ready to cook dinner stuff like that uh, could this be viewed as potentially her emotional hydraulic escape from an oppressed situation in class? No, for sure. I, I think that this has, again, just goes a lot to what was going on in, in Kate's life at the time period. Her husband was dead, and I think that she's trying to be a voice for those disenfranchised women of different classes and different statuses and different situations. She's trying to say, hey, it's okay to be you. That's for sure. Kate was definitely her, and I think that's why her stories are really interesting. Even over a hundred years later, I still, even though it's a so what, it's it's still interesting. The more we talk about it, is kind of how I feel. So, Kate Chopin again, what a writer! What a writer. Let's move into our reader's review. If you guys like Kate Chopin or want to hear us talk more about her, go check out our other stories. We'll leave a playlist for her and have like Desiree's baby, I think, coming up soon. Crypto, what are you going to give this one just on a purely subjective level of how it hit you? I think Chopin is a very powerful writer. I think she has an incredible message that she's trying to get across. I think she's always trying to teach us. I think she's trying to better us. Um, I, you know, have only read a few of her stories now so far. I'm going to give this one just a solid 6.5. I think that there is a good message there. I think it's very straightforward. I think it's very linear. And I think this is, you know, kind of early feministic, uh, you know, writings of you know, opening up about women's sexuality when in a time period that was a big no-no. And today, yeah, you may shut it off a little bit because nowadays it's not a big deal to some people. Uh, but back then in the time period, it really, really was. You bring up a good point about how early this was in that movement and well, before leaving the movement, right? This is an interesting way to kind of, I think, I think challenge me in a way that I don't think she intended, right? The, the time that she wrote this, she'd have no idea where we would be as a society over a hundred years later. So I have like a higher, almost like respect and analytical rating, but personally, I just, it, it's a lower one for me. I just didn't enjoy it that much. Honestly, it's kind of like, the analytical might be like a maybe like a seven or an eight or something like that but like just a personal enjoyment didn't hit me that good maybe like a four tell you what we'll average those two out for what like a six out of ten so that's my rating for this story i don't know what did you guys think of this story let us down below is this just too banal are we looking too far into this or does this maybe question why is it okay for us to, to look at it differently in a society in today's day and age very interesting story to kind of poke some questions around that so if you want to hear more discussions like this we post videos every monday and thursday we'd love to have you guys along in the discussion and journey hit that subscribe button down below to follow us una out peace